0: Brexit are promoted. They have their storybook ending. You can go.
1: Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Wrexham Texan episode number 29. Today, I am not wearing Wrexham colors. I'm wearing Texas A&M colors. It it was a game day, and uh, Stockport destroyed Wrexham, um, while, on the other hand, my Texas A&M Aggies were uh, dominating in their victory over the Auburn Tigers. So um, I'm... Doing some celebrating by wearing <laughs> wearing our shirt uh instead of uh the Rexen shirt or sweatshirt today. So apologies if that's offensive um to anybody out there. I'm I know in the title it says I'm going to analyze the Stockport game. What I mean, it was like watching a bunch. I mean, it was it was like we'd were back in the National League and Stockport was a championship team or a league one team that was one of the most embarrassing losses I've I've seen in a very long time um, and mind you I'm a fan of the Texas A&M Aggies who lose in embarrassing fashion on a regular basis so it was just an extremely painful game to watch um I I I, I don't even have highlights to show because what were the highlights? What were the highlights? Tell me someone someone tell me what the highlights were. I mean, you could say some some medium lights <laughs> there were some medium lights like uh, Elliot Lee's crossbar um, shot and the like 88th minute or something like that, 86th minute. So I don't know. Fletcher came in and he hustled his butt off. Ollie Palmer hustled his butt off. Um, they both played really well for the few minutes they came in I was very confused as to why we didn't make any subs at halftime considering how poorly it was going um, it seemed like Aaron Hayden got ran past almost every single time um they got the ball down at, down at our end it there was lots of miscommunication lots of poor touches in the defense I mean our defense looked like utter crap and to be honest, I'm not sure any of those goals were Mark Howard's fault or would have been able to be stopped by Mark Howard. It, those were just easy, easy goals, most of them. And it should have been more. It should have been six, should have been seven. Um, they had that header in the first half that almost gave Olave, uh, I believe it was Olave, the, the, I might be getting Olave confused with a NFL player, whoever it was. Uh, should have, should have headed that ball in because uh, it was, I mean, it hit the post. It was right there. Olafe. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. So there's an Olave in pro American football and there's an Olafe in, the, <laughs> in this league. So that's fun. uh Yeah. But he, I believe he almost got a hat trick in the first half and he ended up getting that hat trick in the second half. But I guess, I don't know. We'll go over a little bit of the match stats because it was utterly painful. Here is why possession means absolutely nothing. We possessed the ball for 53% of the time and they scored five goals. Let me flip that. We possessed it for 47% of the time. Still, I mean, it's basically a 50-50 game and they scored five goals. Five goals out of it and we scored nothing. So like our defense was horrendous and our offense was less than mediocre. Um, It was, it was just a horrible game that I plan on forgetting as soon as I stop recording this particular podcast episode. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. They had seven interceptions. We had five. They had one offsides. We had three. They had one corner. We won five corners. Why are we not better from set pieces? We could have, I mean, we were for a few games, but man, this it, it started. It looked like a game from the very beginning of the season. Um, from the first those first three or four games, where we looked terrible on on offense and defense, it just it looked like that. Um, or we looked terrible on defense. We never looked terrible on offense, but today we looked pretty bad on offense. Sorry, I can bring these stats up on the screen for everybody. Uh, passes were. 514 to 447 in their favor accuracy about the same 78 to 71 uh we had 21 crosses and did nothing with them our crossing accuracy was 38 percent and yet we did nothing with them we had some flashes where it could have been it could have been great the one where i forget who elliot dumped the ball off to and then it was kind of a give and go. I thought it was McLean, but I could be wrong. It was in the middle of the box. And why the guy Elliot passed to didn't just turn around and fire it in the goal, I don't know. He had an open shot and it was a tight pass to get Elliot Lee the ball right in front of the goalie. I didn't like just turn around and kick the ball in, man. It's right there. Uh, we had 20 shots, only five of them on target. They had 10 shots five of them on target so they did it much much better than we did um, we had five block shots they had three we had five shots outside the box and 15 shots inside the box you gotta applaud their goalie you just gotta applaud their goalie he made a couple fantastic saves their defenders made fantastic fantastic saves um And then we just kicked the ball wide or over the top quite a bit. It was, I mean, it was just utterly painful. And I know we're going to have these games. Everybody has these games. It's just in the moment, it's like not calling for anybody's, anybody to be fired or benched or anything like that. It's just, you gotta, you gotta lament for a little bit, you know? Um, And these are just the facts. These, it was just a terrible game. They had an 80% tackle success rate. We had a 55%. They had 40 clearances. 40 clearances. It's felt like for the entire first half, even with them scoring three goals, it felt like we had the advantage and the momentum. That's how weird this game was. Like we, we seemed to always have the ball right next to their goal, and yet we just couldn't convert. Um, and that's that's not a problem I ever thought we would have where we couldn't convert and then we'd allow five goals because their counterattack was devastating. Let's see, discipline. 13 fouls conceded for us, 10 for them. One yellow card apiece, zero red cards. I mean, there's really not much more to say. 21st minute Olafe, 30, 30th minute Olafe, 32nd minute Barry, 50th minute Olafe, and then in the 90th minute, to just add complete insult to injury, Patty Madden kicks one in. That should never have been there. They should never have had the ball. It was a horrendous play leading up to it and a horrendous finish. So, yeah, just a day that uh, I imagine most Wrexham fans will want to forget. Um, it's a, it's a It's a Saturday when I really, really, really wish we had a Tuesday game coming up so that, you know, so that we didn't have to live with this for an entire week. <laughs> oh man, I cannot wait to watch our guys back out there on the pitch next week and make up for this embarrassment. Um, yeah, I mean that. Uh, I, I really don't have much more. Uh, I thought McLean had a really rough day. I didn't think he. Di- I, I just. It was just not in the cards for him today. And I love. I've been loving McLean. He's he's a beast. He's an animal. Um, loved watching him play. I didn't, I didn't like that. Dalby was in over Palmer. Um, I thought Palmer had done enough to earn that starting spot, and you know maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What the frick do I know? But Palmer, the the fact that they were letting the players play and not calling too many fouls, that's the kind of game that Palmer needs to be in because of his physicality. Um, Dalby is a little more finesse than physical. And so I, I would much prefer, I I would have loved to have seen some halftime substitutions, especially on the defense. Um, and I would have loved to have seen Palmer come in earlier because Palmer was starting to make things happen, but I just don't think he had enough time to do it. So yeah, overall, absolutely horrendous. Um, I, I very much disliked the entire game. I was super excited, you know, leading up to it. I recorded the game, um, but I will not show any highlights because there are no highlights to show. So, sorry. And this week is going to be my first week interviewing somebody. Um, Our first guest ever on this show uh, is Mr. Josue Greco. He is the composer for Welcome to Wrexham. He created the theme music. Um, he created this year's theme song um, along with John Hume. And yeah, he agreed to come on the show. And here is our interview from just the other day. Josue Greco, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're the first guest to come on the Wrexham Texan. Um, and I've I've mentioned and I don't know, it's gotta be 10, 10 of the episodes so far, how much I absolutely love the music. And, uh, for those who don't know, um, can you, can you tell people what you worked on in the show? Welcome to Wrexham.
0: Well, I did, the the, the score, the original score and, uh, as in season two, also the main title, um, uh, together with John whom who's a top liner, amazing top liner, shout out to John whom, hmm. uh, so yeah, the whole music thing, it's, uh, it's pretty much in my
1: hands. I love it. Um, where are you from originally?
0: I'm originally from Italy. Um, I uh, for like 21 years of my life then moved out here to attend college. I went to Berkeley, Berkeley College of Music oh, wow. uh, up in Boston. Um, so graduated and then moved to LA pretty much, um, pretty much right after it. Mm-hmm. And um, I currently... I'm currently in LA. I've been here this whole time. I've been here for at this point nine years.
1: You said you're from the south of Italy. Where uh, can you tell me where, where specifically?
0: Yeah. So the region is called Calabria, um, which is basically the top of the hill. Okay. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. We're kicking. We're kicking Sicily away, kind of. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so the south, the southern, the southern that you can possibly go, basically. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, it's very, I, I'm from a very small town, mm-hmm. super tiny town. It's like 12,000 people, maybe 13,000. Wow. And um, and so when I came across Wrexham, the story of Wrexham, well, for, first of all, I was I was brought in really early. They were, they were just talking about the project and they were shooting the initial, this was three years ago at this point, mm-hmm. they were shooting the initial stuff um, up in the UK. So I was able to see some of the footage of the small town. And I was like, this is it, this is clearly UK, but it, it reminds me a lot of what I grew up in the social context in which I grew up. And then we also have a very tiny, um, local team, local football team, which is nowhere near, uh, the skills of Wrexham, obviously, uh, but 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 people are so into it, um. So I could definitely relate to that, to that like fervor, um, of the people from
1: Brighton What? Uh, so is that? Would you consider that your team, like your club that you follow?
0: Um, I don't know if I follow them anymore. They're really bad in the sense. <laughs> okay, so for anyone listening, they're actually not that bad. It's just that it's so up in there, so at the bottom of whatever league, a regional, regional league. Um, it's gonna take years and years for them to ever get better. But ultimately, it's a very small team. Um, I went to a couple. I, w- I went to games growing up. My my grandpa loved it, so we went to a bunch of games growing up. And yeah, it's just a super rundown football team and the field itself. It's like it's very comical to see uh but um but but people are really into it
1: i you know? I, I bet people i mean soccer's easily or football is easily the most popular sport in the world um That's, i think well i think uh cricket might be right up there too i think cricket huge game and in like india i think like cricket stars have hundreds of millions of followers, like more followers yeah, than anybody yeah. else on like Instagram and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And so that's very interesting that like very few places play cricket, but it's a huge sport where it is played.
0: Yeah, it's from the UK, right? I, th- I think it's like a colonial sport. Also, it, could like proto-
1: yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. I know almost nothing about it other than it's super popular in places.
0: <laughs> when I, um, I lived in the UK, I lived in London for a little bit, mm-hmm. for like six months, half a year couple years ago and uh, I was working on that film project and uh, the national international league the world cup of cricket was going on one night huh. and people were so so into it and I felt a little bit like an out like I didn't know anything about it mm-hmm. and I thought it was I thought it was a, kind of like a bizarre sport yeah but actually it's yeah I'm the
1: one who's weird
0: <laughs> Just like, I I'm the one I'm the one who's here for not knowing about it. Kick it is the shit.
1: Kick and stick. Yeah. I mean it's interesting. The fact that you can have games last for like seven days is the the strangest yeah. thing to to yeah. somebody who it's like, like is ready to be done with a sport after like three hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a weird weird thing. Um how long have you like when did you know you wanted to compute compose music? Like what, what took you on this track in life?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it it's kind of. I wanted to say that it happened by chance, but ultimately, I've. Well, I started playing music when I was seven, eight, uh, and. Well, that's where I started um, taking lessons, Mm -hmm. actually. But I was always very interested in, and I was. There's recordings of me playing Mm -hmm. um, without really knowing what I was doing, but just kind of like putting my fingers on the piano and. Also, my family has been very, very supportive. We had instruments in in the house and I would just I would just pick them up and play. Ultimately a a couple of years down the line, I I started playing with local bands and kind of started like making a little bit of money. So I saw a feedback loop. I I I was able to see how my passion can actually I can actually build something out of it and 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 even the financial remuneration is just an extra uh confirmation that you're doing something right and ultimately allowed me to buy more instruments and allow me to make more music and allow me to buy more instruments and and it's like some weird weird uh capitalism spinning wheel uh (laughs) so when i moved to boston um i i i had a i got a scholarship to attend berkeley because it's it's really it's really expensive school and also coming from europe it's very difficult to attend an american school if you leave you know european wages are much lower Mm. blah 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 so when i was there um i could have started uh i could have majored in um performance like music performance like saxophone i'm a saxophone player okay but i've decided I, I always like computer and technology and like doing manipulating sound in the box, in the box, in the computer. Right. right. Um, So I kind of like started doing, like, working on electronic music there. And then the electronic music t- took me to write music for media, for like videos, for video games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so as you can see that that was... The next step was going to be in scoring. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I want to say that I've never, I never, I didn't go to school for film scoring specifically. Mm-hmm. I started music production I started vocal production, uh, pop a lot. I worked a lot of pop stuff before, but scoring is just something, it, it, it almost felt like the natural progression of things, if it makes sense. Hmm. And, and so when I moved to LA. Uh, one of the many millions of little gigs that i had to do was um scoring documentaries and then from one do- one documentary takes you to another like everything is just kind of like a stepping stone and and i just kind of started building this scoring catalog uh, of music so so ultimately it's it's not necessarily something that i've was expecting to do 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. I knew knew that I wanted to work in music. I knew knew that I wanted to work in music in any shape or form, maybe not in the business form, uh, more like actually Mm hands-on. So writing for TV and film scoring, it's just something that allows you to explore all the... All the possible um little nuances yeah that i wanted to so you get to do stuff in the computer you get to do um synthesis you get to work with synthesizers which i, I love you get to buy a bunch of traditional as you can see behind me a bunch of traditional instruments and, mm-hmm. and, and record them you get to work with string sections so like in insane musician you get to record drums which i love you get to buy a bunch of microphones that i also love it's just kind of like the holy grail of music fun i think
1: yeah and some i would imagine it's like something different every day and you get to experiment with yeah. just a whole bunch of different things rather than being stuck you know if you're just playing guitar in a band you're pretty much just stuck with the guitar
0: yeah you're constantly testing your it's like a video game, but mm-hmm. it lies. You're constantly testing your abilities. And I mean, obviously, it's also kind of like a personality thing. So people like to be constantly challenged and, 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 because and... you learn something, you learn something from it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's, it's a double, it's a double win because you are completing the project, but you're also learning something from it. And then next time you can use that skill for something else. Um, so, so so yeah, it's just kind of like it's a job, quote unquote, job that allows you to like really learn new things. Every single project you do, mm-hmm. you're learning. You're learning something insane. Like at, at the mature age of thirty, well, twenty nine years old, which is when I started working on Rexum. Well, actually, thirty. I started playing banjo. Wow! <laughs> just I bought a banjo and I started playing it. Uh, And they just kind of opened a whole like thing, a whole like wormhole into traditional uh, traditional instruments Mm -hmm. and why they sounded the the way they sound and why we play them the way we play them, Um, which is a whole different conversation. But like, I didn't know that existed. I (laughs) guess I knew I I was never, I was never, it kind of interested in it Mm -hmm. but rexon forced me to explore that Mm.
1: yeah imagine like scoring something you're trying to like highlight and give an undertone for the emotions that the audience is supposed to be feeling the emotions that the people on screen are supposed to be feeling or are feeling in the moment so i imagine like that would have to involve a bunch of different instruments, a bunch of different styles, all that kind of stuff. Is that is that the case? Yeah.
0: Also researching, researching, Ooh. um, because this is actually another interesting point. Like, sure, uh, you may you 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 do a little research on the Welsh music, Welsh instrumentation, or whatever, wel- Welsh traditional music, but I think it's kind of it's kind of bizarre and corny when um, a composer starts... A person who's not... Okay, if I started making... If I started re, kind of like ripping off or sound like um, traditional Welsh music, I think it would sound disingenuous mm-hmm. and ultimately it would sound really bad because I'm not from there. And so at the best, to the best of my abilities, I will never be able my music will never be able, will never sound right. genuine, you know? So I think I'm always with Fraxham specifically, um, I'm always walking that line where, yes, I do want to use mandolins. Yes. I do want to use banjos and bouzouki and bodram or whatever, but how do I make that sound? Like it's not actually, that I'm not actually trying to do that, mm. you know? Yeah. How do I, how do I play the mandolin in a way that it's evocative enough uh, to call to, so that the listener is like, "Oh, this is some UK stuff," but without necessarily being, "I'm trying to do traditional <laughs> music." Look at me, right? You know, um, which is a, it's just an art on its own, and and ultimately, it's it's super fun when you find like, and I think, and now that we're working on season two, I finally found it. The way the, the the language for the show, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's it's much easier, but it was a little challenging at first.
1: Interesting. What was your what was your? Well, first of all, you said you got into this project early. How did how did that come about? Like, how did you get involved?
0: I did I get involved? Um, the director for season one mm-hmm. um, contacted me. Uh, I think it was because he has seen another doc documentary. That feature my music. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking on the. I'm I don't remember exactly which project he mentioned that he saw, but he 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 has heard my music somewhere else, um and um he must have like written down the name and, and then he contacted me privately, um, so so yeah he actually it was very cool because I rarely um get to be that early on a project mm. usually. Um, usually I get like an assembly which for the people that don't know it's the movie has already been shot and then they just kind of like put it together it's not necessarily a a fine cut but it's resembles of a movie and then they send it to me and usually there is already temp music on it Mm -hmm. and temp music is when it's pre-existing music uh, that they put on the cut and and then at that point, my job is uh, substitute that temp music with my original score, um, and it's quite challenging because when that happened, you usually editors, and this is something that happens subconsciously, when they when they put somebody else's music, they tend to cut the scene to that music. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so when it gets to me. Now I got to find a way to recreate that somehow. And sometimes editors and directors tend to be very attached to that, to that, to that pre-existing music, cause it was working so well. So that's the whole thing. Uh, but luckily with Brexham, I was able to write beforehand. As a matter of fact, I wrote, I wrote a bunch of stuff off screen, um, just kind of like referencing images and short videos that they sent me. But I wrote these long suites that were like six or seven minutes uh, pieces. I think I wrote like 10 of them or something. Um, and they're all... That's actually what made it into the album. If you listen to the album, the, the album is basically those original suites. Uh, and it, it, we just put them in the album. But so once I delivered them to the editor, they were able to use them as temp music so when i received the car my my temp the temp music was already my music so i'm like great this is awesome
1: that's a really interesting way yeah because you're totally right when i when i finish a documentary is generally when i get in contact with the composer that i want to talk to it's nice to know that it's helpful for you to actually be a part of the project before that point. So maybe I'll yeah. contact a composer first next time and be like, this is what we're doing. This is the vibe we're going for. Because, yeah, I, I watched some in some reel the other day where it was just an um, editor talking to the camera and he's like, asking an editor to change the song is like asking a home builder to change the foundation.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of the challenges, just to go back to what we talked about before, one of the challenges of film composers is that you are quite constantly you're pretty much constantly receiving some degree of feedback and whether i want to say like like, there's a 50 percent chance that what you wrote what you spend like a couple of days writing it's not it's it's not gonna make it into the film Mm. and so i'm not gonna make it into the film and and it's and it's gonna get criticized and and so you gotta be um, able to take that criticism in the most, you know, creative way possible. If it makes sense. Sorry, you broke um, up one second. In the most what? In the most creative way possible, and gotcha. And like you, you can't possibly take that personally. And but at the same time, it's okay to like completely delete what you, wrote, But if anything that experience taught you that that was the wrong path mm. and that's a very valuable lesson yeah. um very o- oftentimes I write something that I like because I like it mm-hmm. and 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 then the directors like this is not gonna work for me that kind of like humbles me and brings me back to the fact that I'm actually working for the picture. This is not like an, an album that I'm putting out because of my music. This is... A, this is, the, I'm, the music is serving the picture. Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't do that again. <laughs> Write something that works for the picture. Um, and then obviously another valuable lesson that I will never stop learning from is um, interpreting uh, people's... Basically, it's like... <laughs> Translating words into emotions Mm. um, first, and then Mm. translating those emotions into music. Mm. I don't don't know if it makes sense. Like, yeah, sometimes, like, and this this is actually quite dramatically. Like, if you send me an email with feedback, I would highlight that one phrase and analyze it, and be like what does this word mean because mm. sometimes people it just this is just about anybody we say we, we 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 say something like i want this to feel unsettling okay and then you're like okay cool but what does that actually mean is unsettling scary is unsettling like 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 there's so many there's so many shades to that one word yeah. So I got to put it into context and be like, okay, so what unsettling actually means in this what what Jake actually meant is this 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 and this. Okay, great. So how do I make that into a piece of music? Mm. And this is just something that you never you never stop learning from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I imagine because every every situation is different. You know, and every right. scene, yeah. nothing, no scene is ever going to be the exact same and no one's ever going to feel the exact same they did, you know, in exactly. the previous movie. So that, yeah, that would make it really difficult for one. But also, um, I'd say probably more fun and more challenging and less monotonous as time goes on, because like with yeah. a, lot of, a lot of jobs, you just get bored, you know, like it's but, true. If it's different all the time, I imagine that that helps with the whole process and, and enjoyment of it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, if it gets too easy, I don't want to be. I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: fair. <laughs> I always think that it getting easier would would make me enjoy it more. And then when I when it gets easy, I'm like, okay, what what's next? Like, what can I do what's to make next? it? Harder? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So is that, is that kind of your process? You kind of start with trying to decipher the emotion of the moment and then or like the words or the feelings of the moment and then bring it into the music. Is that kind of how you start?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unless I have complete, um, like blank page, which it, it did happen for, for Wrexham, um, the Wrexham team, they were like, just do whatever you think is right. Um, and that's always a great place to start, but there's going to be, I mean, again, a percentage of what I think it's right might not ever get used, mm-hmm. but if anything, I get the, if anything, I get the, the, the chance of really taking big swings. Yeah. Uh, sometimes those swings land, sometimes they don't. But... Um, yeah. I mean, there's been situations where because of deadlines, because of time constraints and whatnot. I had to be a little bit more careful uh, by more careful a little bit more safe if it makes sense. Gotcha. Uh, like I I I know I, I knew what I know what the director wanted and I know what the movie needed and at that point if I really have to deliver next week do I want to go and just do a bunch of like experimental synthesizer and violin things?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, but if I have more time, I'll go for it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I long? know,
0: but i am all—I'm always waiting that email that says this is great, but maybe <laughs> it's not good for the scene. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's alright.
1: Yeah. yeah, if I—it I, I, it
0: happens all the time.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I edit for some people and it's like you send you send them the edit thinking, OK, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. That was a great edit. And they'll be like, that was great. And then you see the word butt and you're like, gummit. like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> OK, uh, I guess I'll start over. Yeah. The, the main theme music for for the show in general is chilling. It brings up all these emotions every time I watch it. Um, where did that come from a specific place like what inspired that the, the main tone of the of the series
0: yeah I mean I think a lot of it had to do with researching traditional Welsh music and like kind of like putting myself into the atmosphere of this little town in the UK mm-hmm. if it makes sense um, there is a theme of Positivity it just kind of like runs through the through the whole soundtrack. Uh, mm-hmm. That I just kind of wanted. I wanted that in there because ultimately, despite the team, at least in season one, the team not being really good and Robin and Ryan having to go through all these jumping through all these hoops to make this time, to, to make this work and the funding and the race course and all that there's always a positive outcome sort of mm-hmm. and, and and I think the comedy I think that the, the com the com- comedy creates their, their their type of comedy it's quite brilliant so ultimately you always see the positive side even when the bad even when there's bad moments like Robin Ryan always find a way to like make it like make you like smirk a little bit, yeah. Um, and I just I kind of wanted the music to be like that. Like it, this is serious stuff, but not too too serious. And ultimately,
1: you see the light at the end of the time, kind of. Yeah, there was a perfect demonstration of that in the first episode of the season when, That's when yeah, John exactly. Harvey is like, I'm I'm really down right now, and Ryan says he's gonna sell his kid to help. <laughs> yeah, thought, yeah, that was freaking great that was
0: hilarious yeah man i have to say like they're they're brilliant uh, in 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 the way the comedy is presented um those comedian moments are just incredible every time i watch a new cut i'm like yeah these guys are so good and, and i i obviously i i saw the whole season i'm working on the last two episodes right now Okay. And I can tell you that there's so much yeah. I think I think season 2 might be my favorite. Maybe wow. because the it's so it's so fresh for me, but there's so much shit happening that it's so cool and um and and it's so fun. This season is so fun.
1: I love it, man. I'm so excited. It's hilarious. I haven't watched yep. the second and third episodes yet, but I plan to tonight, so I'm I'm excited.
0: Great. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: See more of your work. Um, one more question before we get out of here: is, sure. uh, how did you and John Hume hook up and what was like making that song, like the new theme song? Like,
0: yeah, it, it actually, it was actually, it was quite fast. Um, so we were looking for this new, um, a main title and, um, I tried writing it. We actually wrote different version of it, um, with several top lines, several artists. And then one afternoon, uh, my manager knows John I think that was the connection yeah mm-hmm. and so my manager was like give it a try he's in town um let's let's set up a session um we I only had two uh, we only had two hours know yes. for whatever reason I don't remember why but we had to like quick, keep moving I think it was a Sunday mm-hmm. I think it was a, either a Sunday or a Saturday it was like yeah, we were like working on this. we were really, really cranking on the main title, so we hang out for in the the first hour. The song was already done, pretty much. Wow. Um, yeah, we wrote a chord pro, progression. You actually already had an idea of one <laughs> what it wanted to sound like. It was like don't don't forget, don't forget where you came from. Type of a the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, that's what this—that's literally what the song says. Like, don't forget when you came from. Don't forget what you're made of. Uh, the ones who were there when nobody else would care. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 don't forget to sing when you win. So like ultimately, yeah. Don't forget all the bad times, but don't forget to be mm-hmm. happy when. Like, it's kind of like a, a an anthem to try to be in the moment. Like, don't forget to. To be happy when when you win, to sing when you win. Yeah. Um so yeah, we produced it out and then John was incredible by the way. Incredible top liner and like amazing musician. He uh he recorded all the all the instruments and we kind of like put it together and made it come out for uh for the season premiere last week. So it's available right now on Spotify and everywhere else. So yeah. You can uh, you can shut down it from the show and go straight <laughs> into your
1: thank you for yeah. yeah Thanks just, to
0: the power on the interweb.
1: One more question. Sorry. What sure. has been go ahead. what has been your rea- or like the reaction um from fans, from people watching the show? Like have you been contacted? Like what uh what have you seen? What has been your personal your personal um uh reaction or like what? How has it affected you? This this series coming out?
0: Yeah. All right. So I hear pretty a bunch of shows all the time, so mm-hmm. it's hard for me to like keep my eyes on one specific. Pro- uh, at least it's hard for me to keep track of of, pe- of people's um, or feelings about the show, or like even PR stuff. But I, this this actually happened in season one, and also in season two. I was driving down uh, Hollywood. Uh, on the on Hollywood Boulevard, this was last week, and I saw this huge billboard for season two, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's sorry. I did that one show." <laughs> so yeah, definitely the amount of the amount of uh, the, the 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 scope of the scope of, this, of the show was much bigger than what I thought it would be in season one, uh, but um, incredible success. Uh, and uh, yeah, people like it. Like I get contacted all the time, uh, some like people on whatever, on my social media saying, I really like this one piece in episode 12, where this thing happened. And to be honest with you very often, I don't quite remember what it is, what what they're referring to. Right. Because again with five hours of music it's very hard to exactly point out what what is what and in what scene i put it but yeah they're like i really like your music and yeah definitely overwhelming overwhelmingly positive reaction from the fans and uh and and, and yeah i mean when i tell people i, I work on the show they're like oh that show is huge so yeah the show is huge and again i i, I live in a little bit of a bubble i i'm always in my studio and I do watch TV, but I guess I'm not like so in the TV world. But right. Wrexham is an incredibly popular show, and so the Emmys are up too. Uh, they moved them to January, so mm-hmm. we got a bunch of nominations.
1: And heck yeah, I'm hoping we we win. Heck yeah, man! I hope you do too. I wish you nothing but success in that regard. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, where can people find you? Where can people listen to more music? Uh, find you on socials, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yes. Uh, socials uh, at Sounds Like Josue. Uh, maybe we can put it on the screen or something. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, it's all the same handle. It's all Sounds Like Josue. I'll just type my name. Perfect. Uh, actually, I wanted to plug my single that comes out in two days, September twenty second. Okay. Uh it's called Mine Forever. And the little promo is the second one or the third one on my grid. Uh that one and the the other one. Um there's gonna be oh yeah. So it's a little bit of a, a ambient experiment. It it it's um, kind of like feel good music, yeah. Instrumental music, and you can pre-save it uh, on my on my link on my thingy, or you can just wait September twenty second for it to come out on Spotify. And there's going to be um, one single every month. I'm gonna start putting out music under my name that it's not necessarily connected to. A film project. So I'm really excited about that. Awesome. Uh, that's it. Just wanted to plug that.
1: Awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate it, Josue. It's been a pleasure. Like I said, love the music. Keep it up, man. We, uh, yeah. Thank you. Me and my wife just love loves the soundtrack to this whole series. So appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. There you have it, Mr. Josue Greco. I mean, for me, I've mentioned this on the show a bunch of times. The music is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the theme music, I'm not talking about the theme song, or the title song or anything like that. I'm talking about the that main theme music that you hear in big moments during, during the series is evocative in the best possible way. It brings out all the emotions that you're supposed to be feeling and it ties you in. It has this element of hope just intertwined throughout the melody. It is, it's a thing of beauty. And I absolutely enjoyed talking to Joe Sway and I'm so glad that, uh, he was the one that they chose to write the music for this, for this series. Um, yeah. And you're going to get a triple feature today. You're going to get a, uh, (laughs) a, Game review, an interview, and a episode review. So up next, the second episode of Welcome to Wrexham Season 2 is entitled The Quiet Zone. And it might have been the most heart-pulling, emotional, um, beautiful episode yet. Um, I know that I've said many times on this show so far that I'm not the biggest fan of the episodes that take you away from the primary story, which is the team getting promoted and the, the team doing their thing. However, there are exceptions to that rule. And spending the time to get to know specific groups of fans behind the scenes, I absolutely love. And especially this group um, that we got to, got to see, well, this, mainly just this one fan that we got to see behind the scenes, um, along with a couple others who made appearances. But um, yeah, it, the whole episode starts off with Super Paul Mullen, his wife, and Albie at the beach uh, just playing. And then we cut to an interview with Mullen and learn that Albie had been diagnosed with autism. Um, and I'm not a parent, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how that feels. Um, I have an idea, like I still feel human emotions and I love my, uh, I love my niece. I love my neighbor's kids. Um, and I am certain that that is not easy news to take or process or deal with over a very long amount of time for a parent. Um, but. Paul seems to be doing his best. And one thing that, that struck me was was this clip of him right here.
0: I can't go to bed without feeling guilty. So
1: I have to try to alleviate that guilt any way I can. And yeah, I might be too hard on myself. Like I said, I'm not a parent. I don't know where that guilt comes from. Uh, I, I I wouldn't even begin to understand that Guilt. Um, I don't. I, I. I actually can't comprehend why that would be. That would make you feel guilty. Um, if someone wants to explain that to me, they can. But I am one hundred percent certain that you are likely being too hard on yourself, especially with the rest, the way you acted in the rest of this episode, and the things you said the rest of this episode. Because you are doing your absolute best it appears and you are being supportive of the child. You're being loving with Albie. You are working with Albie. You are in my, from what I can see from what is shown in the documentary, you're doing everything right. And that's not to say that you won't mess up from time to time. It's not to say that um, things won't be overly difficult as you mentioned in this episode, but from somebody watching, from somebody who has watched people on screen for a very long time and interviewed them and edited them um, in documentaries and all sorts of stuff, it, I would love if that guilt faded over time for you. Because I'd, I don't think there's anything that you need to feel guilty about. Um, and yeah, and that wasn't really expecting to speak directly to Paul Mullen in that moment, but hey, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I thought I thought that was a super interesting thing to say and I didn't uh, didn't expect that to come out of his mouth. Uh, I love that he said that he just wants to make him smile every day. And that right there. that's all like that's what you need. That's what you need to do. Um, we then cut to this lovely woman.
0: Yeah, it's a privilege to be a rex if I
1: love it, wouldn't change it. My autism means my brain's wired differently. Ah, Millie tipping. That's kind of the, the primary story of this entire episode. And it kind of hits on what I believe would be other people's tangential stories uh, in, in this regard and people that she interacts with and... You know the qu- people in the quiet zone people who um, who come about because of Carrie uh, basically this whole episodes about Melly and she is fantastic I love that she says it's a privilege to be a Wrexham fan um, and she wouldn't change it I I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and there are times when I would love to change that. <laughs> um, it's, it's been nearly 30 years since we've won anything. Um, same with the Texas A&M. You know? uh, it, I don't know that I've ever considered it a privilege to be a fan of either one of those teams. So it kind of, I don't know, she made you think just right off the bat. I love it. She's going around talking about her signatures and she has drawings for the players and she has a, her, one of her prized possessions is scarfs signed by Rob, which I get. That would totally be one of my prized possessions. <laughs> um, yeah. She's just a very lovely girl. And um, it was really really wonderful getting to know her in this episode and getting to know how this whole side of Wrexham that we don't, that isn't, hasn't really been on camera too much before, um, uh, works and how it's integrated into the club, um, I think is a beautiful thing. And I absolutely loved it. Let's see. What else did she say? She used to play disability football growing up. Um, and when that went away, she had a really rough time, which is understandable. I mean, it's it's hard time for anybody to let go of of a team um, that they've played for. You know, Tom Brady didn't retire till he was like 75 years old or something like that. <laughs> so it's not easy for anybody. So people who get super attached to things and are super focused. Yeah, it's going to be a lot, a lot more difficult. Um I think I found it interesting that she really wouldn't speak to Carrie at first. So she was kind of uh, um, shy, and now it seems that she's the queen of the quiet zone, which <laughs> I think is fantastic. I love that. She seems very confident in what she she does, and like very excited and happy to do it. Um, and I I absolutely love it. As far as like the filmmaking side of this, it there are things that you don't need fantastic filmmaking to make. Compelling and um, emotional. This is one of those things. Like, yeah, the music that Joe Sway put in here enhances the emotions that you already feel. But it's, there are some things that it's just not hard to make compelling. Um, and Millie is compelling right off the bat. She's um, entertaining. She's funny. Um, and Uh, She's admirable and it it was, yeah, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful episode. Uh, Let's see. She loves that the players uh, speak to her and like make her feel comfortable. Um, And I love that they just walk down the line of kids, signing jerseys, signing whatever, talking to the kids, taking selfies. Um, And she loves her spot at the end, gets her spot and um, talks to the players and they talk back and have full on conversations and they take the time to do that, which is a wonderful thing. Um, Ryan Reynolds follows her on Instagram or Twitter or one of the two, I don't know. um, And likes all of her posts. I mean, you want to talk about an owner who's invested in the mission that they stated. That is something that if he didn't do, no one would think he was doing less. Um, but he does it voluntarily, Um, like follows a fan's account and likes all their videos and posts and everything. That's amazing, that's amazing. If that doesn't prove their intentions, if that doesn't prove um, where their heart lies, then nothing will. Um, if If you can find a bad thing to say now about, Ryan Reynolds or Rob McElhenney, like you're just grasping at straws and you're making things up. I mean, I'm sure everybody's got a negative side, but man, their heart is clearly in the right place. And uh, the they're I, I think they're just as lucky to have the town and the club as the town and the club is lucky to have them. Because um, I'm almost certain that this level of involvement has to change you as a person, um, and has to make you a better person. Um, and so, I think there's a. It goes both ways when it comes to when it comes to that with with the club and the owners. Um, and we end. Let's see. Did I? Oh, I think I missed. Uh, no, I didn't. There we go. We end. We end this little section with this quote right here. Also,
0: you embrace who you are. You are Millie. You are Millie Tipping.
1: I don't know why I found that to be so powerful. You are Millie. You are Millie Tipping. Um, but man, I, I loved that moment um, with her and her mother, um, especially after her mom. I guess she says this later, but uh, you know she's, she's never wanted to hold hands as a, as a kid, um, has never told them that she loves them. And as a parent, that would be, um, yeah, that would be a very, very difficult thing to accept, a very, very difficult thing to live with. Um, That would not be easy in any way, shape, or form. And you can see the patience and the understanding that her mom has with her. And it's, it's quite lovely, them sitting at the kitchen table talking about feelings and life and everything um, and accepting who you are and all of it. It's beautiful. Um, we then cut to Mullen, um, who says he, he knows his son so well at this point that he always knows what he needs. Um, uh, even though he's not verbal, Paul can take care of him. And that's a sign of a good dad. You know, you're spending that much time with your kid. You know, you know him backwards and forwards. And then Mullen cracks on camera. He he gets choked up, can barely hold it together. And uh, yeah, they stick with it for a while, which I found interesting. Um, He's out of focus on camera. He's clearly very emotional. He's trying to pull it together. He says that happens a lot these days, (laughs) which... Makes sense. Um, Going through a lot. Totally understandable. Um, But then we cut straight to Paul and Ryan Reynolds watching a video of Albie counting. Which is such a fun thing to count to or to to cut to to count to. Goodness gracious. Such a good thing to cut to, um, especially after, you know, Ryan's been mentioned a whole bunch of this episode. I think this was maybe his only appearance the whole episode was just his interaction with Paul um, fawning over his son counting. Um, It's a great moment. Um, We then go back to Millie, who says that uh, autism is a superpower, Um, which, you know, there are a lot of ways where that is absolutely true. A lot of ways where that is absolutely true. So. uh, I would not say that's too far off base. Um, uh, During this time, she's making a drawing for Mullen and Albie because Mullen had announced that Albie had autism through a social media post of his shoes, of his boots, uh, his cleats. Uh, It has Albie written on it along with the symbol for autism. And she used to be Millie used to be scared of Mullen until he posted those boots. And now she's excited to talk to him, thinks they have a connection um, which obviously they do. And that's amazing. That is, it's fantastic to find that connection. um, Especially for people who don't have, can't connect with everybody. Um, It's, I imagine that would be a, a lot of life would be pretty lonely and scary and hard. Um, so finding people to connect with uh, seems like it. I mean, it's essential to everybody. Everybody needs people to connect with. And, and she found her people. Um, mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, let's see. She puts in all these uh, things into a gift basket. Her old like puppets, things, a soft blanket, fidget toy, stress ball, and a drawing. Um, And she's super excited to go see Mullen. And in the parking lot, she sees Humphrey and says hi and then keeps going. Uh, Mullen takes his time with all the children, as he should and as they all do. Um, And she finally gives him her gift, uh, which was – yeah, all those things, and he was very appreciative. It was clear that he appreciated that gesture a whole lot. And then we get to the funniest moment of the episode, which is here we go. We're gonna win. Five nil. Five nil. Can you fake a penalty? Fake one. Don't <laughs> Can you... say that. I got enough of you and I forget not me like something. I love a person who will say things uh, that no one else will or no one else thought of or no one else would dare say to someone like Paul Mullen. That is absolutely hilarious in the best possible way. Because um, its I've said this about Mullen. He goes down too easy. You know, he just does. And it's why you can't be my favorite player, Mullen. Sorry to tell you, like, you just can't be. Um, I... I like, I like a player that can push back and stay standing. <laughs> so the fact that she calls him out on that is absolutely hilarious. She then predicts that Wrexham will win 5-0. Um, and then we cut to the game uh, versus, I'm going to butcher this name. I do not remember ever hearing this name pronounced. Sully Hole, maybe? Sullyhole Hole Moors? I don't know. But... The last, what is it, three minutes of the episode, she, Millie puts on her ear protection and it goes not completely silent, but extremely quiet. Which, if there's ear protection that works that well, somebody please send me the link because I could use that when running saws and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I <laughs> That is, if it can diminish the sound of a stadium that much, which obviously I know it's an effect for the, for the, for the series, for the episode. But if there's one that can diminish it that much, please send a link to me because I want those. Um, fantastic game. Lots of scoring. You don't know, you kind of lose count. You don't really know how much they score. And then right at the end, pops up Wrexham win 5-0 and Paul got a hat trick. And that's just, that's what she wanted. That's what she predicted. She said 5-0. Paul got a hat trick. Um, probably faked a penalty, but I don't know. You know, maybe didn't get it. <laughs> um, overall, I mean, it's just a beautiful episode. It's absolutely fantastic. its It's the best kind of offshoot to the primary story that can happen on this show, I think. Um, There are going to be others that are great as well, but this, this kind of story where everybody in the club kind of works together um, and understands the mission and is on the same page in regards to so many things, especially when it comes to their fans and their supporters. Um, It's beautiful. And it's it's something that I am certain doesn't happen at every club, doesn't happen every team, doesn't happen most places, um, but it's happening here, and it's a beautiful thing. So there you have it, y'all. That's all I've got for today. Please go follow me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, WXM Texan Rexum Texan. Uh, you can, if you'd like to come on the show if you'd like to be uh, interviewed on the show if you want to have a chat on screen uh give me a shout on one of those platforms or you can email me director at peaceful also go over to apple podcasts or wherever you can leave reviews ratings please leave me one if you want to give me a one star though please message me first and tell me what I'm doing wrong so that I can fix it. (laughs) Um, At least give me the chance to fix it. I'm not saying I will. I'm pretty stubborn. So if you're telling me to do something completely different that I don't want to do, well, then go ahead and give me a one star. You know, it is what it is. But go subscribe, go like, go do all the stuff. Um, Just do all the stuff. Uh, It would be extremely helpful. I love making this show. I love watching Welcome to Wrexham. I love watching our football team, um, despite the obliteration that was today. Um, so yeah, thank y'all so much for listening. We will see you very soon. I believe I have another episode coming out in a couple days, so we'll see you then. Y'all have a good night up the town. You're
0: gonna see You're gonna see it.
1: You're gonna see it. And if you knock my soul with all your strength, you're gonna find it, you're gonna find it.